So this is a debate that happens in my house every year. Um, there are a few of us, like myself, who, who want to wait until after Thanksgiving. Maybe Thanksgiving Day, it's okay to start listening to Christmas music. And then there are others in our family, specifically uh, the classical singer in the family, who just think you can sing Christmas music whenever you want. <laughs> like, it doesn't even matter. Just any time you can sing Christmas music. So the good news is, right now, we are all in agreement that this is the time that we get to enjoy the songs of Christmas together. So listening to different songs, um, I have special memories attached to different uh, Christmas songs that I hear. Um, some of them take me back to my childhood. I'm dating myself here to say that I had a record player before they came back and were cool as a child. Um, but we only had very few records. So I don't know if my dad got it as a gift and then he had to actually purchase the records. And so he had like maybe a dozen, maybe 20 at the most. But at Christmas, we had like two. And so we just played those over and over again. And so every once in a while, I'll be in a store and I'll hear the exact same version. And I'm like, wait, this was on my Muppets Christmas, you know, <laughs> record. And uh, it's a great memory. Also, my dad played the piano. Um, which what I mean is my dad can play the piano and we had a piano but he didn't often play for us but at Christmas time he would get out um, his sheet music and he would play these certain songs for us so whenever I hear do you hear what I hear the song or the little drummer boy it takes me back to my dad um, playing on the piano for us and it's a great memory for me another thing that I often remember with um, Christmas and songs is that my oldest two daughters, Lily and Emma, when we lived in Ohio, they were young and they were in elementary school and they went to a German language school. So they learned both German and English. And so they were in a choir where they sang a lot of songs in German. And there's nothing really cuter than little kids singing um, songs in a different language um, than their own. And so we would drive them all over Cincinnati at Christmas time. It was like our schedule was packed and they'd sing those songs together and it was so cute. And even today they get back together and they sing those songs together every Christmas. So there's just like some wonderful memories surrounding these songs of Christmas. But I have to be honest, even though I know the words to most of these songs, I don't often think deeply about the stories that they tell, especially the ones that are talking about Jesus' birth. They are just, for me, another reminder of things that we do at Christmas time. You know, that we, um, we read the same scripture, we um, listen to these songs, and we have all of these traditions. And in those traditions, sometimes it's hard to enter into this season with fresh eyes and thoughts and connecting to the Jesus that we celebrate in a new and powerful way. And it's sometimes hard to kind of relate these stories and these songs to our lives today. And so during this Advent teaching series, we are going to use a few Christmas songs that have been sung for generations, and we are hoping to look at them with fresh eyes and hearts. And the hope is that during this time, we won't just sing these songs, but we will truly kind of ponder on what they mean for the worship of the Savior that we celebrate. So the song that we're going to use today, um, it may be new to you. It's a song that was beautifully written oh, almost 100 years ago, um, but it doesn't get played an awful lot on the radio. It doesn't even get sung all that often at church. Um, and I think one of the reasons is, is 
just the sound of the song. It's kind of has a sadness to it. Um, it doesn't have the happiness of joy to the world or angels we have heard on high, which, you know, you sing those songs and it just makes you happy. But this song actually is more of a reminder of the struggles of the events of Jesus' birth. And so the song that we're going to look at today is a song called Sweet Little Jesus Boy. It was written during the Great Depression in our country um, by a composer named Robert McKimsey. And he wrote this song in the style of the spirituals that he spent most of his musical career um, being an advocate for the importance and the beauty that you find in African-American spirituals. And so he um, was a white man who grew up in the South hearing these spirituals. And so he dedicated his career to kind of um, advocating for the the appreciation for these songs and their worth. And so he wrote this song um, in the style of a spiritual. The, tr the tradition that surrounds the song, though, why he wrote the song, and you never know how much is true when tr traditions around songs go, but um, this is the, the, the story that got told, is that he was walking around the streets of New York City on Christmas Eve uh, during the Great Depression. So if you took American history, you might remember that 1929, I believe, uh, the stock market crashed, um, it totally devastated our economy, and by 1930, a fourth of the people were unemployed. So our nation has not seen that kind of employment since. There was great poverty, and I don't know, um, for me, my grandparents grew, th grew up during that time, and so every once in a while they would talk about just the difficulty of that time in our country. And so as McKinsey was walking through New York City, he's looking at people who are, he can tell, are struggling. There's great sadness, um, and they are struggling to survive. And, and what he notices is that the bars are full and the churches are empty. That in their sadness and despair, that they went to alcohol instead of um, the church. And so he wrote this song in response to that night. So I'm going to read the words for us. Um, here are the words to Sweet Little Jesus Boy. Sweet Little Jesus Boy, they made you be born in a manger. Sweet Little Holy Child, we didn't know who you were. We didn't know you'd come to save us, Lord, to take our sins away. Our eyes were blind. We could not see we didn't know who you were. Long time ago, you were born. You were born in a manger, Lord. Sweet little Jesus boy, the world treats you mean, Lord. Treats me mean, too. But that's how things are done here. We don't know who you are. We have, you have told us how, and we are trying. Master, you have shown us how, even when you were dying. And it just seems like we can't do right. Look how we treated you. But please, sir, forgive us, Lord. We didn't know it was you. So this song is a reminder of the despair that we really find in the Gospel of Luke, telling the story of Jesus' birth. So there are two different versions, um, two books in the Bible that talk about Jesus' birth. One is Matthew, and oftentimes that's kind of the one that gets read. And then Luke's uh, details of the accounts of Jesus' uh, birth. And he details the poverty, 
and the oppression that kind of surround the coming of Jesus's birth. And it shouldn't surprise us that Luke does that because in Luke, as you read through all of the book of Luke, he does, he has this theme of what has been called the great reversal or the upside down kingdom. This idea that Jesus came and reversed power structures, how things are done here, he did the opposite. And right away we see that theme when we start reading through the book of Luke. We come to the story of Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus, being told by an angel that she would be the one that would carry the Messiah in her womb. This um, Messiah that had been promised for generations that she is the one that will be picked. And so you've probably read her song of praise to God before, um, but one of the lines she says is she praises God because he is the Lord who has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Some translations use um, the humbleness of your servant, but really what she's talking about is that she's poor, that she isn't where the Messiah is supposed to come from. You would expect the way things are done in this world is people with power and privilege, they lead, right? And Mary is just this young girl who isn't even married, and she is the one that has chosen. And so she continues in her praise. She says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. The God that turns things upside down. And so in this song, Sweet Little Jesus Boy, we are reminded of the darkness and the poverty and the oppression that is recorded for us in Luke. They made you be born in a manger. We're reminded that Mary and Joseph are a poor couple, and they're subject to the will and the power of an empire. And they're displaced, and they're without a home, and they only have an animal's feeding trough to place their baby in. I want to read through Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths, and she placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. They made you be born in a manger. We didn't know who you were. But the line in the song that for me is the most powerful and the most haunting is this line, the world treats you mean, Lord, treats me mean too. But that's how things are done down here. We don't know who you are. McKinsey, in his first writings of this uh, song, he gives advice to the singer singing this piece. He says, to bear in mind that this is a song of suppressed emotion that you are singing intimately to the Christ child. And that's an intimacy that comes from recognizing that Jesus knows the experience of oppression and poverty, of being displaced, being without a home, and he knows what it means for the world to treat you mean. It's a song of suppressed emotion. 
And it makes me think about how many people around us experience what it means for this world to treat you mean. They experience a life of suppressed emotion. And yet the story of Bethlehem and the manger is a story that reminds us that Jesus knows what it's like to live a human life, a life that is so often a life of struggle and pain that we all have experienced. And the manger is a reminder that Jesus knows our pain in an intimate way. And I wonder, have we forgotten who Jesus was? That he was poor, that he was without a home. And what happens when we forget who Jesus was? Do we also miss out on seeing the image of God and those who are like Jesus, without wealth or privilege or power? And so this year, um, I was reminded as I was um, preparing for this message, I remembered a book that I began this year reading um, called Manana uh, by Dr. Justo Gonzalez. Uh, He is a professor, a writer, um, Christian professor and writer and a pastor. And he wrote this book almost 20 years ago. Um, It's a powerful book, and I was reminded of it, and I think... I need to start every year reading this book because there's just so much importance um, in, his, in this book in particular. But he wrote it largely because he um, wrote about the importance of the Hispanic voice in Christianity today and how um, his own experience as an immigrant from Cuba, how he went to churches and he went to um, teach in these uh, large universities and how he always experienced how the voice of the white person was put above those of other voices, especially his own as a Hispanic. And so the whole book is really um, talking about what we miss, what we miss out on. And I think that's true of everybody's voice. Um, But he talks specifically of the Hispanic voice. And one of the things he talks about is that when you look through scripture, he uses this term that you find that God is prejudiced in favor of the poor, which you're kind of like, wait, God is prejudiced? Is he allowed to be prejudiced? Can he favor some people over others? But if you look through scripture, he certainly chooses to use people over and over again, the um, people who are on the sidelines, the outcasts, the younger brother instead of the older brother. He uses the poor. He uses um, the untrained. He uses the fisherman, the shepherd, the woman over and over again. And so, Gonzalez writes, if that is who God uses, shouldn't we choose to listen to those voices over those that come from places of privilege? And yet, this has been my experience as well, going to conferences, reading books, who who gets to have a voice? It's usually people with power and wealth. And so he um, encourages us instead to think about listening to the voice of, he gives specific examples of uh, a Chicano lettuce or grape picker and his struggle to follow God even though he is denied the right to unionize or the suffering of the Puerto Rican in a Chicago tenement house. These voices that know what it's like to follow God even in their pain that they are told in a thousand different ways that their culture or their language is inferior. And what we learn is that God hears their voice and that he identifies with them because he sent his son 
to live in a place in Galilee, which is the wrong place to come from, and he was born in a manger. The world treats you mean, Lord, treats me mean too, but that's how things are done here. We don't know who you are. And yet, God is the God of great reversals. And so Mary says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. And as we continue to read through Luke 2, we see angels appear to the shepherds in the fields. And they say, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So I want us to just say that together. All the people. Are you ready? Together we're going to say, all the people. He says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Now, I know you guys have read this passage. You've heard this passage read over and over again. I have as well. And yet, when I read through this um, this week, that that phrase, this will be a sign to you, had new meaning for me. Certainly, uh, Luke is saying that the angels are saying, the sign that the baby you're looking for, the sign that you're looking for is that it will be in a manger, right? Because there aren't a lot of babies in the mangers in Bethlehem. So you're just looking for one. This is, I'll make it easy for you. You're looking for the baby in a manger, right? That's the sign. But it had new meaning for me because I thought it's a sign for me too. It's a sign that if we want to find Jesus, we find him in places of suffering and poverty. We find Jesus knowing the pain of our humanity. And so this song, Sweet Little Jesus Boy, was picked a couple months ago as one that I was going to speak on. And so the verses have really stuck with me. And in that time, um, I went to a conference in Texas where I had the experience of sitting in lots of places where um, people were sharing their pain of living in a place where the world treats them mean by the structures of oppression that they face. And um, I also have had experiences with friends sitting in those places, listening to their own pain and those experiences. And I found myself, and you might have the similar experience, well, in those moments, you kind of feel like you want to run away from the pain that they're sharing. And maybe you won't run away, but you still can find your, your mind is drifting off, right? Because it's so hard to sit with that pain. And so as I was trying to stay there and listen and believe their experience, I was reminded of the words, the world treat you mean, treat me mean too. That's how it works down here. We don't know who you are. Now I know that my own experience has largely been a life of privilege as a white woman growing up in a um, middle-class family. But for me, the place that I have experienced the most um, pain, unfortunately, has been inside of the church and as a woman. And I want to say, I'm not talking about this church. <laughs> when I say the church, yes. I, I want to say the church as a whole, from people who are Christians, um, other churches, other church leaders, I've had the experience of feeling as a woman, less than, beneath, and sometimes even belittled. 
And sometimes I'm surprised that I can still be hurt by it. That at this age, I shouldn't just expect it and not even, you know, be surprised or that it can penetrate my heart in any way. And yet it does. Um, and so a month ago, I started reading some um, people that I follow on, on social media, and many of them were talking about this uh, male leader who evidently was talking um, to a crowd full of other male preachers. And um, as he was talking, he referred to and belittled a woman um, speaker, Christian woman, who I really respect. She's respected by many people. Uh, and he belittled her work um, and said the words, go home, of her work. Now, that's a phrase that gets used, go home, by people. I don't know why Christians would ever think it's appropriate to use that term. Um, but the reaction in the room was not of, what? It was of laughter. And um, that shouldn't surprise me. I, I know how things work down here sometimes. But I was surprised by the pain that I felt. Like it was me, he said, go home to. And I, I, I struggled to do what I had to do. I think I had to read a sermon that day. <laughs> and, um, and I just sat in that pain for a moment. And I am being honest when I say the words, the world treat you mean. Treat me mean too. That's how it works down here, Lord. We don't know who you are. But I will say those words were actually a bomb of healing for me because I felt seen. I felt understood. I felt like Jesus sees me and knows what that feels like. And I was like, okay, you get it. I got to keep doing what I'm doing. And so this morning, I want to say to all of us, let it be a sign to you today that you will find Jesus wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Let it be a sign to you that Jesus sees your pain and he understands. And so this morning I'd like to end this time uh, listening to a video recording of this song, Sweet Little Jesus Boy, sung by the Queen of Soul, Mahalia Jackson. It is my favorite version of the song. It's probably the most famous. Mahalia Jackson herself lived through a lot of pain. She lived through the Great Depression herself, and she was a civil rights leader alongside Martin Luther King Jr., who was her friend, and she sang at his funeral. I encourage you guys to Google that because there is video of that, and it's powerful. But as you listen to this song, I ask you to do something <clears throat> during this song that I really I encourage you to do during this whole season of Advent. I encourage you to do what Mary, the mother of God, did. After Jesus is born, the shepherds come. It says in verse 19 of Luke 2, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I love that idea of, you know, this amazing thing happens. And what does she do? She ponders and she treasures. And these are things that we don't talk about, like, we're about doing things, right? But this is such a human thing 
to treasure and to ponder. You can't check that off a list, right? You need to slow down and ponder. And so that's what I ask you to do as you listen to the words of this song, as you listen to sweet little Jesus boy. Let's play the video now. Thank you. 